The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. If you haven't already, let's uh, start to turn together to our scripture today, which is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in the New Testament. You can find that on page 966 of a pew Bible that's in the rack in front of you, or whatever Bible you have. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, what we've been doing in the month of September is a topical sermon series, uh, which is uh, something that we do in between preaching consecutive books of the Old and New Testaments, where we pick a theme and then we explore that theme through particular scripture passages. And we are concluding a four-week sermon series on ultimate questions, essential aspects of the Christian worldview. And the point that we've been trying to make in this time is that everybody has a worldview. Everybody has a lens through which they view the world and make essential judgments and understandings and belief systems. And every worldview in its most basic structure is comprised of four realities, beliefs about origin, where we come from, meaning, what life is all about, morality, what is right, and destiny, where are we going? Origin meaning morality and destiny. And we have been exploring how the Christian worldview provides internally co coherent and consistent answers to every single one of those questions. And today we come to the last one, the question of destiny. Where are we going? We've been trying to demonstrate the beauty and consistency of the Christian worldview, especially over against competing and uh, contradictory worldviews that are present in the world today. Now, hopefully, if you're not already aware that you are becoming aware of the fact that, again, everybody has a worldview, and oftentimes the disagreements and frustrations that you experience perhaps with other people as you talk about issues is because you have fundamentally different worldviews. Uh, and the, the goal that we've been trying to pursue is not so much to deepen our understanding in every other kind of worldview, because really there can be almost limitless other worldviews, but rather we've been trying to see the beauty of the Christian worldview on these varied points. So, if you've got your Bible open in 2 Corinthians, we're discussing and looking at the question of destiny. Where are we going? So let us pray and ask God's blessing on his word this morning. Father, with uh, your word open before us, how we confess that, that we need your truth. We believe the scriptures to be inspired by your very spirit. Lord, as we come to the Bible, we come to our source of spiritual authority. Lord, many people have opinions and many people have thoughts, but it is your word that reveals truth. And so, Father, on this issue of destiny, would you speak to us the word of truth? Illuminate our minds that we might know. Illuminate our ears that we might hear and our hearts that we might receive your truth today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now hear God's word from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and we'll read the first uh, 10 verses uh, with especially emphasis um, uh, the second half uh, of 2 Corinthians this morning. This is the word of God. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, 
longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. And so may he write its eternal truth upon our hearts today and always. So this fourth question of the Christian worldview related to destiny, as you keep your Bible open in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is speaking about it in terms of where we belong, where is our dwelling, and where is our home, and how do we live there? He uses the metaphor of clothing and dwelling to speak of both this life and the life that is to come. And so that is with reference to the idea of destiny. Uh, this past week, I was uh, called upon to do a graveside service for uh, Mary Parchert and the Parchert family, those uh, some of whom I knew, many of whom I did not know, but I'm sure many of you uh, do know, but uh, had again that experience of standing by the graveside, as many of us have. And uh, at that moment, encouraged the family to be thinking about this question, how do we approach this place? What do we have on our minds and in our hearts when we approach this, this sacred place, this somber place, this place of sorrow? Because death is, of course, an unavoidable reality. We may try to entertain ourselves out of the awareness of it. We may try to deny it. But none of us can escape that reality of death. And as a Christian believer... It is something that you don't have to run away from, that you don't have to fear, and it is something that you should be informed about, especially as it relates to what the Bible says about how we should think about these essential issues of worldview, especially this final one about destiny. So, everybody asks these questions, not just Christian believers, but everyone. What is this life? And is this life all that there is in this life? What happens after this life? How do we know? Who gets to say? How is it decided? If there are multiple places to go, where we go? And on what basis is that decision made? Can we know our eternal destiny and who has the authority to answer these questions? How does the story of my life end? As a Christian believer, you and I need to be equipped with the ability to interact with those questions. For our own sake but also for the sake of the people that we're in conversation with, our classmates, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, people who are asking the same questions we are, who perhaps might not have the same confidence you do. 
So, uh, we can't run away from these things. Uh, it's uh, the funny old story about a Puritan, Thomas Goodwin, who was the uh, principal at Oxford, and, and back then uh, you went to university when you were very, very young, and Thomas Goodwin was, a, was an imposing Puritan figure. Uh, he kept his office very, very dark, and he was interviewing a new student to come into the class uh, at Oxford University, a 12-year-old boy. He came into Thomas Goodwin's office that was dark and imposing, and Thomas Goodwin sat behind his desk, and the first question that he asked this young man to determine how prepared he was to begin his studies at Oxford was this are you ready to die <laughs> uh, he didn't ask it with jest it was quite serious and I think that that is a question that we must all face as well now I don't tell you that to frighten you by any means but rather to encourage you because in the Christian faith there can be a readiness there can be a confidence and there can be a hope and there can be a peace. This is not a morbid study today by any means. It is an encouraging thought. First of all, let us see, just in context, that the question of destiny matters. So first of all, we want to see that the question of destiny matters and then we will look at how the Christian worldview goes about answering that question of destiny. But first, we're affirming that the issue of destiny matters by first looking at how does the secular worldview answer this question? How does a secular worldview answer the question of destiny? Where are we going? And the answer is, of course, with no answer. Because there is, in the secular and materialist worldview, nothing. We only exist, and then we cease to exist. According to the secular material worldview, the atheist says, When I die, I am dead, and I am gone. My conscious life will end. My interaction with you will end. I will simply be gone. Or, in the more eloquent but ignorant words of Richard Dawkins, who writes in our Darwinian view of life, he says this, In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, some people are going to get lucky, and you will not find any rhyme or reason or purpose or justice in any of it. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties that we should expect if there is, at the bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but at the end, blind, pitiless indifference. According to the atheist and naturalistic materialist worldview, your life at the end of the day matters zero. Who you are and what you do is without consequence. Needless to say, such a worldview is not meaningful, nor hopeful, nor encouraging, nor likely to promote any kind of human flourishing. Not just the secular worldview, but how do other worldviews answer the question of destiny? And you know, throughout the ages, people have always been fascinated with this reality. If uh, we lived in the era that was popular of Greek mythology, then uh, every corpse would have a couple of coins placed on their eyes or in their mouth to pay the toll to the riverman Sharon, who you had to get on the ferry to cross the river Styx. And if you didn't have the sufficient money upon your death to pay the toll on the ferry, then you would have to wander the shores of this life for a hundred years until you could make up the debt to Sharon and then cross the shores to eternity. 
Now, I don't know anyone who still today believes in the Riverman, Sharon, and giving the toll to Sharon. But, very interestingly, a recent Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life says that a quarter percent, 24% of Americans believe in reincarnation. And shamedly, even 24% of professing Christians believe in reincarnation. What is reincarnation? The word reincarnation derives from a Latin word that literally means to enter the flesh again. The conviction is that we have an imperishable soul existing in every human being and that it comes back on this earth after death in a new form and that the fate of every person in their next life is determined upon how they were in this life, good or bad actions, always described as karma. Now, you may not believe in reincarnation, but I wonder if you even casually use the word karma. When you use the word karma, it reflects a worldview on the matter of destiny. Now, this is, of course, troubling because in that worldview, there is no ultimate morality standard and you just get to recycle and try again because there's, at the end of the day, no judgment. You just cycle it back. And if you were bad, you come back as a trash can. I don't know. But does that provide meaning to this life? Does it follow up to the fact that there is meaning in this life? How does the Christian worldview answer the question of destiny? It answers it this way. After this life, there is still life. And that life comes in two ways. First of all, immediately. And then secondly, eternally. That the Christian worldview answers the question on destiny in two ways, that we have life after death, and the first comes immediately, and the second comes eternally. What do I mean? Well, what does Paul mean? What does God mean in his word? Look again at chapter 5 and verse 8, as Paul speaks of this reality, as he speaks of the tension that exists between this world and the world to come. You see, Paul, uh, Paul works on the basic knowledge that there is life, but he writes here in the context of hope and courage. Verse 8 says, yes, we are of good courage. and We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And he says that after he's already said in verse 6, we are always of good courage. And he talks about being at home in the body and with the Lord as these two separate locations. There is a sense in which we are in the body and there is a sense in which we will be with the Lord. And he draws a distinction between these two things. And when he speaks of being in the body or being at home in the body, he's speaking about this present life. He's speaking about the reality of life on this planet that we all experience. Or earlier on in the chapter, he speaks about it as uh, this tent or our earthly dwelling. He speaks about here the reality that there is life in this tent, but there is also in life a heavenly tent, a heavenly dwelling. And what he is doing is he is drawing a, a, a picture for us, and he is helping us understand something that puzzles so many people. And it's this, that you are made up of a body and a soul. God has created us with a body and a soul. 
Uh, it's actually Greek philosophy that adds a third component to that. Greek philosophy says that we are soul, body, and mind and draws the distinction between the mind and the soul, but the Christian faith doesn't distinguish between the mind and the soul. We are a body and a soul. We are a physical and a spiritual. We are two parts that make up the person. So it, there is in this sense, Paul is saying, that we would rather be, in verse 8, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He is saying that there is a sense in which it is possible for you to be away from the body and still be somewhere. And the somewhere is with the Lord, of course, and by inference that it is possible to be outside of this tent, outside of this earthly dwelling, and be with the Lord because we can be with the Lord as an ever-living soul, a spiritual being. He is drawing a distinction between the physical and the spiritual. And he is saying that there is, for the Christian believer, a home that is with the Lord, that is absent from the body, that the believer enters into in their soul, when? Immediately upon death. Immediately upon death. And this is what we call the intermediate state. And that's why I said the Christian worldview answers the question of destiny with two answers. First, an immediate destiny and then an eternal destiny. Because when you die, child of God, your soul goes immediately into the presence of Jesus Christ in heaven, also called the intermediate state. Now, let me, let me just share a few uh, explanations and definitions of that and listen for some key aspects of, of how the intermediate state of heaven exists as a non-physical place because we put off this earthly tent of our body and we go in our soul to be with Jesus. Listen to the words of the Westminster Confession in chapter 32. It says this, After death, the bodies of human beings decompose and return to dust, but their souls which do not die nor sleep, have an immortal existence and immediately return to God who created them. The souls of the righteous are then perfected in holiness and are received into the highest heavens where they behold the face of God in light and glory and wait for the full redemption of their bodies. That is the Anglo-Scottish tradition on this point. Listen to the, the Swiss Reformed tradition on this point. It says this, For we believe that the faithful after bodily death Go directly to Christ, and therefore do not stand in need of help or prayer for the dead or any other such duty to them that are alive. Where do you go when you die? You should have a clear answer to that question. Your body is laid in the ground, or perhaps uh, turned to ash, or perhaps drowned at sea. But where does your soul go? immediately to be with Christ. Paul says, we are of good courage because we will be at home with the Lord. That's what he's saying in 2 Corinthians 5, but elsewhere he says it differently. He says it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. When I leave this life, I'm going to go be with Jesus. And he says in Philippians that that desire is so great that the departure from the body does not mean when I put off my body, I don't go into eternal nothingness or unconsciousness. I go to be with Jesus. He elsewhere says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 10, he says, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation 
so that whether we wake or sleep, we will live with him. That means that the intermediate state of heaven when your soul departs your body and goes to be with Jesus is a conscious existence. Will you know that you are in heaven? Yes. Absolutely. Truly alive and fully conscious. So, our souls immediately depart. They go to be with Jesus in heaven. That's called the intermediate state. And the body goes into the ground. Or perhaps is turned into dust. But, here is, I think, one of the most constantly misunderstood aspects of the Christian faith on this point. I said that the Christian worldview answers the question of destiny first with an immediate answer and then an eternal answer. That is because, did you know, that heaven is not your final destination. Heaven, where your soul departs to go to be with Jesus, is not your last stop, if you like. I try to explain this very clearly, especially at the graveside. That because Jesus Christ was resurrected, so too will we. And on that day when the trumpet sounds and Christ descends and the dead in Christ rise, the body is raised and joined back to the soul in a new body that is fit for an eternal, physical dwelling place in the new heavens and the new earth. Heaven is not the last stop. The hope of your life is not that you will dwell in a disembodied spiritual state, but that you will dwell physically in an eternal state in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what Paul is speaking of, this heavenly dwelling, this physical place. Paul says that the perishable will put on imperishable and the mortal will put on immortality. What happens then? Because the intermediate state is heaven and the eternal state is the new heavens and the new earth. And what does that look like? Well, to learn about that, you have to go to the end, don't you? To the book of Revelation. If you'd like to, turn with me to the book of Revelation in chapter 21. Where are we going? Where are we ultimately going? Not just to heaven, but to this heavenly city this physical dwelling this new jerusalem look at revelation 21 and verse 1 john writes under the spirit's inspiration then i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who is seated on the throne said behold i'm making all things new in that place in that 
destiny, in that eternal destiny of the new heavens and new earth, you will have a new glorified body fit for that eternal dwelling place. John goes on in chapter 21 and chapter 22 to give us this glorious picture of what the new heavenly city will be like, what the new Jerusalem will be, that there will be a high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates, that the wall will have 12 foundations, that the gates will be named for the 12 tribes of Israel and the foundations named for the 12 apostles, that the city will be four square with walls of jasper and that the walls foundations will be adorned with precious gemstones and gates of pearl and the city will be made of pure gold and the streets will be paved with transparent gold and John is in the book of Revelation almost gasping for words to be able to explain the beauty but the images of breathtaking beauty and the images of the jewels and the gates and the streets and the foundations are nothing compared to one sight Revelation 22, Revelation 22, verse 1, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Do you remember that that was the tree that Adam and Eve could not eat from? And one day by grace we shall eat from that the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer where there will be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more and they will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. What is the point of where we are going? It is not just that death will be no more, and it is not just that pain will be no more, and it is not just that we will have eternal bliss. All those things are good. All those things are wonderful. The eradication of cancer, the eradication of Alzheimer's and dementia, and all the things that make this tent break down and fail will be gone. But that's not the greatest joy. The greatest joy is Jesus Christ himself is in the midst of his people and his people dwell with him in a fellowship that is not hindered by anything. No sin, no fear, no sadness Nothing but pure, unmitigated fellowship with Jesus Christ for all eternity. Unspeakable joy. This is what we know. And this is what the Christian faith believes about where we are going. Jesus Christ is our destiny. And this is the culmination of the Christian worldview. And isn't it a wonderful thing that the point of the destiny of the Christian is Jesus? Because if you've been paying attention for four weeks, all the point of life is Jesus, actually. 
Where do we come from? What is our origin? The book of Colossians tells us that all things were made by him, through him, and for him. You were made for Jesus. What is the meaning of life? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Jesus Christ, the maker of life, provides the meaning of life. Who is the moral judge of the life that has been created? The one who is the creator. Jesus Christ himself is the judge, and Jesus Christ himself is our destiny. Do you see the Christian faith is is at the end of the day just about Jesus from start to finish. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny, it's all about him. Get your mind around this reality so that the gospel might shape your worldview. Why? Because your neighbor needs it too, and your coworker needs it too, and your friends and your family members need it too, so that you have a compelling view of the world to speak a hopeful word to people who otherwise, who are outside of this worldview, don't have it. But in Jesus Christ, all may have that hope. People of God, this is our worldview, and it is good, and it's all about Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that through your word, you teach us the truth about the world that you made. Who else has the authority to say what's right? Who else has the authority to say where we come from and what life is for and where we're going than you, the author of it all? So, Lord, would you please strengthen us to grow in our confidence and in our awareness of the Christian worldview that we might be as a light shining in a dark place and salt in this world. Uh, Lord Jesus, you are faithful and good. And so we pray that our worldview might be wrapped up in you and in your goodness of your grace. And so, Lord, help us to do this, we pray. In the power of your name we ask. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.